What's up, everybody? You know, you know what happens on Mondays, That now you get something from the archives. Enjoy this week's inspiring motivational interview, and we will catch you later on in the week as we start to share with you some of the best of the best tools and tactics, everything having to do with sales. Let's go. Welcome to the Elevation Nation podcast, rewiring your brain in three, two, one. This show exists for one purpose and one purpose only, to create rapid business growth. These tactics can be applied to your career and bring instant transformation. It's brutally honest, refreshing, and proactive. It's gonna hit you where you live because it's applicable and relatable. It's unconventional and dependable. This is the show where you are developed as a leader. You are developed as a high achiever. You are developed in a way that gives you a full life, one of purpose, passion, power, and prosperity. And here is your host, Kaylin Ellsbury. Hey, Sharks, welcome to today's show. Listen, y'all, y'all, y'all. Okay, I... I'm kind of fangirling right now because there's this guy, he's already laughing at me, Um, huge, huge inspiration to me. He helped me on my path. He actually interviewed me for his show years ago. And here's what you need to know. He has a book that is going live today. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on his website. I know you don't know who it is yet, but when I tell you who it is, your jaw will drop just like mine. And he's stepping away from his book launch to be here and share his inspiration and share his knowledge and share the things he's learned on his life with all of you. So everybody, welcome John. John, hello. Kaylin, what a joy it is to be with you and your shark. So I'm uh, more than happy to step away from Oprah and Dr. Phil and everybody else to hang out with my dear friend and someone that that I look up to. So, Kaylin, thank you for the chance. Yeah. So now there may be some people, and unfortunately, I got to call them out right now, who aren't very familiar with you. So his full name is John O'Leary. John, tell our sharks who you are and what you do. You know, so when I hear a question like that, my first thought goes to my family. I'm a dad of four. I'm a husband to one. I'm the son of Susan <laughs> and Denny. I live in the Midwest. I'm the most fortunate guy that I know personally, and I know a fair amount of people, but I don't know anybody luckier than I am. And I have a feeling your question's even deeper than that. I'm an author, a speaker, a podcast host, a business owner, uh, a servant. I like shooting baskets. I like skiing. I like water skiing. I like having fun. I like life. I'm a believer. And uh, I'm a huge optimist. So those are some of the things that I do. Right. And what is the elephant in the room? (laughs) room And who's with me? But one of the elephants is that at age nine, and I'm 43 these days, but at age nine, I was burned on 100% of my body. And uh, 87% of those burns were third degree. So in 2020, May 5th, that is a death sentence. But all these years ago, three plus decades ago, Kaylin, there was just no reason for hope. And yet this little guy with no hope burns on his entire body, comes into the hospital, mom and dad come around him, the community come around him, people don't give up on him, people start praying for him, people start showing up for him. And I showed a little bit of grit, a little bit of fight. It took five months in hospital, but um, I made it out and we went on and had a remarkable life. 
And so when some people hear this, like let's, the thing that I love about our, our sharks is they're super driven, super resilient, gritty professionals who also have this side of them that that's their true heart. That's their true North. And, you know, growing up, I can't imagine what it was like being authentically you and, you know, you look a little different than the average person uh, because of the burns. What was that experience like? What was the lessons that you took out of that? Right. So the cool thing about when things happen to you when you're little is they are ingrained within your DNA. So you don't view yourself as even having really been through an ordeal. I, it sounds so shocking today. Like I, I spent five months in the hospital. I have scars from my neck to my toes. I've lost the fingers on both hands. You would think like, gosh, the, the poor guy is just beat down by life. And yet the reality was completely contrary to that. I went back to school a year after being burned. Nobody made fun of me. We could spend a lot of time talking about that, but they made me feel welcome. So they made me feel like I belonged. They made me feel whole. My mom and dad encouraged me to never, ever, ever make excuses, Caitlin. The night I came home from dinner, my mom insisted that I feed myself. Three days later, she had me in piano class. This dude with no fingers is taking piano class, like unbelievable. I played soccer as a kid, had spent spent the night out as a child, went to camp. In high school, I worked on a farm for three summers. And so throughout my entire life, I've been encouraged by those around me to not view myself as any different than anybody else. In fact, to maybe even view myself through a higher lens than some others, because certainly we had to show a little bit of resiliency, a little bit of grit, a little bit of determination to get through not only what we went through in hospital, but over the days and years that we're going to follow that. The hard part is as you age, you start to look in the mirror and see what others saw the entire time. So as a child, Mm. you may not see it, but eventually you're like, damn, I'm different. I'm missing my fingers. I have scars over my body. You start noticing stares that when you're little, you don't really notice. And then when you're 18, you notice when you walk into a room, people look at you a little differently. And so then you got to realize, like, ultimately, whose perspective will matter in the room most? And this is something I still wrestle with as a man. It's something I certainly wrestled with as an adolescent. But if I'm being honest with you and Caitlin, you know this to be true. It's something you don't need to be burned to struggle with. We all, I I think, spend an awful lot of time looking in the mirror, wondering if we're worthy. Like, am I enough? Do I fit in? Am I successful enough? I think many of the sharks, you know, it's a cool term for them, but many people race towards success frequently to prove to somebody else that they are worthy. And that is the wrong reason to pursue success in life. I'm not telling you not to climb the ladder, climb and swim and hunt and fight, but do it for the right reasons. And so as a kid, in particular, as I became more aware, I think I I pursued success for the wrong reasons. I partied, I think, in high school and college uh, harder than anybody else to prove to everybody else that I belonged. When I got out of college, I think I started my first business, which was real estate development, to prove to others that I could not only start a business and succeed like anybody else, but I could do it even bigger and better than you. Just watch. With hands that are barely able to, with both hands, hold a hammer. Kaylin, I I took this job of sheeting roofs and hanging drywall and putting up cabinets and doing this crazy man's man work to prove to others that, hey, man, I'm a guy's guy. I can do it too. I'm not different. I'm better. And in some regards, it was all a lie. It doesn't make me bad. It just means I, I was living a disingenuous life for a couple decades. 
And what changed that for me, and this is a cool thing for all of us, but what changed it for me is 14 years ago when my mom and dad wrote a biography about their son, John. And so my mom and dad, they're just homemakers. My dad's got Parkinson's. He can't work anymore. He invests a couple months of his life writing his son's story, this unauthorized Mm -hmm. biography of my life. And Caleb, I I read it. And for the first time in my entire life, uh, it changed the way I saw my scars. I no longer saw them as something to cover up and hide from, but something to embrace and celebrate. I, I no longer thought of myself as being the victim in the story, but as being one of the heroes. And more than that, I no longer saw myself as being the only one who was affected by the fire. Mm-hmm. I saw for the first time what happened to my mom and dad. Like I never thought about, geez, I wonder what it's like to walk the hallway for five consecutive nights, months of nights, wondering when they come back the following day, will their son still be there? What's that pain like? I mean, that's 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 pain I can't imagine. What's it like for my five siblings to have seen their brother on fire and then to see him raced away in an ambulance and then to lose their parents for the next five months while their mom and dad are spending all of their waking hours with their brother? What's that pain like? What's it like for all the attention to be still even these days on John? And so for the first time, I started to see this story as something so much bigger in some regards, more tragic and yet ultimately way more redemptive and beautiful than anything I'd ever seen. And it changed the way I woke up. It changed the way I looked in the mirror and it changed ultimately what I was going to do professionally. Yeah. So that reminds me, um, one of the most powerful, I've never talked about this before. Um, I'm kind of like, I feel my voice fluctuating as we, we share this, but one of the most powerful moments of my life was about a year and a half ago. And my parents visited me in San Diego and they brought a tape recorder. And it was the first time I heard the story of when they decided to call the the, the pastor and give my last rites in my hospital bed when I was in a diabetic coma and they didn't think I'd wake up. Wow. And it was their recollection of the day that uh, I, I was in middle school and I blanked out. I I got out of the shower and I had a robe on. I was um, in puberty and um, I walked towards my dad and I passed out and I opened, I guess I fell on the bed and my robe completely opened, exposing myself. And I was completely unconscious. Um, I I went into a medical coma in that moment. And then like, it was icy. It was a blizzard in Iowa. And the, the hearing my dad recount that moment when he was like, my daughter's dying. And it was just very quick. And so it, it got me. But, um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to step back because we had you had such a, a moment there. Well, so did you, Miss Caitlin. Yeah, well, go us. <laughs> High five. Um, so here's for those of you who don't know, John has over 300,000 followers. <laughs> he has a national bestseller, a number one national bestseller. It's called On Fire coincidentally. Um, he's got a wife and I love how he said he's got one wife, four kids. <laughs> he made that very clear. Um, and he travels all over the world speaking and giving inspiration. He's got a top rated podcast. He's internationally acclaimed. He's a best-selling author. Like John, you got it going on. That's the thing is <laughs> some of the sharks listening, like you got to know they want to grow up to be like you. Aim higher, and, what I would say, sharks. Aim way higher. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, aim higher, y'all. Don't give up. Um, but there's one thing you said that we're going to dive into. You ready? Yeah. I want to hear about the day that you 
because it's great that you're you've overcome so much. But I want to hear about the toughest day for you, the darkest day when, and here's here's the the caveat, when you didn't feel worthy. Mm. So the answer to that question is going to be broad and you can get me to narrow it down a little bit more, but I'll be honest with you. Yesterday I was speaking on a, on, at a conference in Phoenix, Arizona. And to be honest, as the guy was about to call me up, he's, he's going through that same brag sheet that you just went through in some regards, like the, the followers and the books and the success. And, and as he's going through this, I'm thinking like, that's not even me. Like I'm not, that's not me. I'm not worthy of this acclaim. And then they, they pull me up on stage and the light gets bright and the room goes dark. And there's a couple hundred people in this room that are there listening to me. And then afterwards there's this book signing and people are waiting in this line. And not only do they win in line to buy a book and then have it signed while I'm signing universally, Kaylin, they all share stories of their struggles. So you, you shared your real moment when your father thought you were dying and how this changed your life. The wild thing about my story is it opens people up to be crazily vulnerable with me. And so just yesterday in Arizona, one by one, these people are sharing stories of marriages that fell apart. They're sharing stories of suicide within their family. They're sharing stories of a diagnosis that they've told nobody else, but they're telling a total stranger in front of them right now. And the entire time as they're going through this, I'm thinking, first, thank you, God, for the opportunity to be with these people and do work that I think matters. But secondly, like I'm I'm just not worthy of this. Like if they saw how ordinary I am and how broken I am and how, how many mistakes I make, they would be uh, less likely to line up, buy my stuff, have me sign their books and share their hearts with me. And so I know that's not the answer you're looking for. You're looking for like a really dark night of the soul. But just yesterday, I felt very unworthy of, of all of this and, and uh, also grateful for all of this. As far as a time, though, in my life when I really hit a low point, Probably one of the lowest relationally, because I think most of our low points aren't finances. It's not, damn, I wanted that job. It usually goes down to a relationship, either a relationship with God, relationship with self, or relationship with someone else. And where all this tied in for me was after going through grade school, middle school, high school, and college, never dating, there was this one beautiful girl that I just kept asking out. And her name was Elizabeth Grace. She's got brown hair, brown eyes beautiful face. And, uh, I remember like really planning my, uh, my ask and Kaylin, I'd never dated before. So like, this is a girl <laughs> waiting, waiting on, waiting on, waiting on, waiting on. And finally I'm like, okay, now is the time. So I t- told her exactly how I felt, uh, landed the jump. It was just a perfect real quick. What was that line? Cause there's some guys here trying to talk to their women. What's well, that me, line? Before you write it down, let me tell you her response. Cause you may want to cross it off. So her response was John, you are like a brother to me. Ew. So exactly. Ooh, <laughs> right. Whether you're from Iowa, Missouri, or somewhere else, that's not the answer you're looking for. So uh, regardless of what my pickup line was, clearly for into now my 22nd year did not work. And I remember leaving that experience, leaving that rejection, looking in the mirror, seeing brokenness, seeing loneliness, feeling isolated, just being done like done with love, done with life, done with dating, kind of done with tomorrow. And then I woke up the following day and the sun rose again in the east and the little boy named John at age 22 gets out of bed. And there was a bit of a turning point when I realized I'd been pursuing girls in this case for what I could get out of it. Um, 
whether it's a girlfriend, a dance, uh, maybe later on a, a bride for me. And I stopped that nonsense. I, I started pursuing others, in particular Beth, for what I could pour into them, like what I could invest, what I could give, what I could leave behind that would benefit them, not me. In other words, how I could be love, not lust, not get, not receive sharks, but what I could pour into somebody else. And I think in making this pivot way back then at age 22, it changed not only that darkness into light, but it also changed my relationship with my friend. Her name was Beth. Six months after this, uh, having wine at a restaurant one night with my friend, she leans over and she says, John, every time I'm with you lately, I get butterflies in my stomach and I wish they would float away, but I think I'm falling for you. And so she goes, will you date me? So I, uh, I drooled out the word yes, you know, and we, we dated for three years. We've been married for almost 17. We have four kids. She is my best friend. She is, I, I, every time I look at her, Kaylin, I think she's prettier today than the day before. And she was very pretty yesterday, but she's even cuter now. And I, I think though, that goes back to this decision not to seek this relationship for what I could get, but what I could give. And in doing that, not only in a intimate sexual relationship with a partner, that's a good place to start, but with children, with your parents, with your partners at work, with the lady at, at the barista at Starbucks, anywhere you get your coffee to in every relationship, pour yourself into what you can give them, expecting nothing in return. And then take a deep pause because the return is going to come. That's not why you do it. But there is a return on love always. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. I remember a uh, true story. I was in middle school and I was like, I was a loser. You sound like you were cool. You might've been a little dorky, but you sound at least cool. I'm not cool. And I'm really dorky. <laughs> cool. <laughs> then we get along on that front too. We can both be cool because we're dorks. And anyways, his name, I hope he's listening. So I'm going to give you his full name. His name is Mike Salo. And uh, sorry, Mike. And I remembered, I wrote out, how to ask him out on a date. And by the way, like I saw how my parents dressed me. I wouldn't have dated me either back then. And um, <laughs> so I wrote out like how to ask Midwestern. him. It was some dance. Yeah, it was, I mean, I was Midwestern. I had yellow teeth. I was obese. Like it was just not my finest hour. And uh, anyway, so I called Mike and it was on one of those phones that was attached to the wall. So for the younger kids listening, um, that that was a thing. You had to make private phone calls in front of people. You can just text. And I said, Mike, I like you. Will you go to the dance with me? And Mike laughed at me and said no and hung up. Oh, my gosh. And I Mike cried. Dead <laughs> like, yeah, I'm still crying over it. Like, And I don't even know whatever happened to Mike. I might just like share this episode and um, send it. But it was just so nerve-wracking. But what it makes me think about is like the common thread of how we all at times don't feel worthy. Um, we all feel a little broken. Rejection happens and it hurts. It hurts all of us at the same level. And yet there's a choice. And that choice is what catapulted you to play the piano, not just sit in front of it and listen to an instructor and claim to your excuses, not to just decide that you want to get a corporate job, decide that you want a career of meaningful work where you're connecting others and leaning into others and being a life giver for others. Can you tell me about the moment that, and maybe it was just organic because you were you were so young, but can you tell me about the moment where you made the choice to go for it? Hmm. So, you know, I'm making the choice. It's a moment by moment decision. I think frequently the mistake we sharks make is to think that there is that turning point and there is that moment when you finally reach the summit. 
And I'll Ooh. answer your question shortly, but I have a friend named Nando Prado who landed in the Andes, crash landed. I think he spent 300 days in the Andes. Crazy story. You can read about it uh, in the book Alive or you can watch the movie Alive. But there's, there's a part in his journey where he is climbing a mountain to escape this plane crash. And when he gets to the top, all he sees when he gets out, not a village, not a town, not a city, not a rescue helicopter, all he sees is more mountains. All he sees is more mountains. And the journey in life is this. You think there's going to be that turning point when you made it, but the reality is it's just more more mountains. And so then you get to slide down on your bottom and then start climbing again. And that has been my journey as we've launched podcasts, created books, spoken a whole bunch, created separate business units. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but it's climbing a mountain, getting to the top, seeing the view, taking a deep breath, smiling, and then sliding down, doing it again, being grateful for the work. So the turning point for me was really the beginning. The first step is always the hardest step. And for me, the first step was not to speak to a group of 100,000 people at a big event. The first step was to answer the phone call 15 years ago when I was still working construction, uh, still running a real estate development firm. And it was a Girl Scout's mother on the other side. And she said, John O'Leary, will you speak to my troop? I've got a daughter in third grade. Would you speak to the troop? And Caitlin, I'd never spoken before. I'd never told anybody anywhere how I was burned, nothing about it. So when she asked me the question, I was not one to uh, immediately jump at the opportunity. But I also think we are put in position sometimes to give a yes, even when it's awkward, like even when we don't have a clue how to take the next step. So I remember 15 years ago on the phone outside of this building unit that we were working on. And I said, yes, ma'am. So we agreed to a Tuesday the following week. I left work that day a little early. I went home, I showered, put on a, a suit went out to the school. And uh, as I make my way into the school building in front of three Girl Scouts, I walked back out to my truck, put my hand on the bumper. I threw up Kaylin three times because I was so nervous. I put a piece of gum in my mouth, walked back toward the school building, opened up the door. And I remember telling myself like, here we go, man, we're doing this thing. <laughs> so I walk in in front of three Girl Scouts. I read my notes, 12 minute talk, looking down the entire time. I never looked up at the little monsters, gave my talk, was not even paid with a box of Samoas. I went home, thought that was the end of my career. One of the kids dad, though, was in a volunteer organization. He had me speak to his group about a month later. Then someone else in that group had me speak to theirs. We spoke three times in year one, eight in year two, 36 the third year, and uh, almost 100 times that fourth year. And that's when we turned this from this wonderful hobby and passion project into a business. In the last 15 years, I'm honored to say I've spoken to a couple million people live, 50 states, I think 17 countries, uh, on a message of life. And it, it's a humble message. It's fun. It's life-giving. It's about others. It's about doing more with the talents that you have, but not just sharks. I need you to hear this. So please lean in, turn the podcast up, not just to see what you can get out of it, how you can squeeze the orange a little bit more for you, but ultimately what you can put into it. And in doing so, how you can change not only your world, but the world around you. So that, that ultimately 15 years in is the journey that I've had. And the very first step was the hardest. So good. So I'm going to shift gears just slightly because I think, I think I might be able to provide a little bit of oomph for those about to arrive at their offices as they get out of their cars. 
going to read you all something. It's uh, it's chapter six of John's newest book, which drops today. It's called Awe. And uh, this one, this got me. So I want, I want you guys to leave with this. And then John, I'm going to ask you for your final thoughts. So I, I hope I can do this justice. I, you know, reading your book is one thing when it's an intimate experience with just me and the paper, but to do it on a show on such an important day in your life while you're listening. This is the first time anyone has ever done a live read back to me on the book in awe. So for me, this is, I'm excited. So my heartbeat is uh, it's speeding up a little bit here. Ooh, just, just don't reject me, say no and hang up the phone. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So John O'Leary's words himself in his new book, awe. I had flown to Las Vegas the evening before and I had just completed the sound check and run through for the slides of my talk. I had a few minutes to myself before the doors opened and the event began. Glancing to my right, I saw a grand piano on a secondary stage for a performance later that afternoon. I walked over to it and looked around to see if anyone was watching. I sat down and I stared at those beautiful white ivories. I peered around one more time and then, with no one telling me to step away from the piano, sir, I began to play. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission, right? My wife Beth and I had recently seen Coldplay perform at a similarly sized arena, so I punched out a few chords from one of our favorite Coldplay songs, The Scientist. I imagine the rush that Chris Martin must feel every time he's on stage and is surrounded by fans singing along to his music. As I got to the refrain, the words, nobody said it was easy, were echoing through my ears as someone behind me spoke up. I didn't know you played the piano. I stopped playing, shut the lid, and sheepishly turned around towards the voice. I don't. My face flushed at being caught in a daydream. One of the leaders who had planned the meeting that was about to take place approached me with a smile on her face. Well, I was standing right here, and it certainly sounds like you know what you're doing. After a pause, she asked, would you play for our group later today? As you know, I grew up being forced to take piano. For years, those Tuesday afternoon lessons were the worst part of my week. In time, though, what was mandatory shifted into something I came to love. And although I don't have fingers, and Chris Martin isn't peering over his shoulder in fear that I'm coming for his job, I love to play today. Beth and I have an old upright piano in our house. I play it on occasion to relax after a long day or to spark creativity before beginning a new project. Some evenings we'll jam on to songs like Heart and Soul as a family. I'll play one hand, one of my kids will play the other hand. But this isn't my family room. It's a stage in an amphitheater of the MGM Grand. This wasn't in an intimate family room filled with my kids, but an arena that would soon be filled with thousands of strangers. It just wasn't something I was ready to do. It was above my pay grade. So I responded the only way a sane individual would. I don't think that's a good idea. John, I think it's a great idea, and it would mean a lot to me and our consultants. I wanted to refuse. I wanted to say no. This seemed like a ridiculous request, and I thought of it terrified me. But then I thought about my mom. I thought about her taking a child sitting at the kitchen table and releasing the brakes on his wheelchair, pushing him forward towards something that seemed impossible. Why was I putting on the brakes now? So I began to ask myself, why not? Why not say yes? Why not show a little courage and vulnerability and do something that scared the heck out of me? Why not do more than just tell the consultants who would be filling the seats how we can all survive and thrive through adversity? Why not show them? Why not prove to them, though, things may seem impossible when you have the right team by your side and they will help push you forward challenge the status quo and show you just how high you can aim, how far you can reach. It was the perfect way to share the lesson with the audience. Now, don't get me wrong. Breaks exist for a very important reason. They keep you safe. 
They keep you from rolling into oncoming traffic. They prevent the pull of gravity from catapulting you down a steep hill. But the brakes on your vehicle and on your life aren't meant to be there all the time. If you always keep the brakes of your wheelchair latched, you don't have a wheelchair anymore. You'll have just a chair. Releasing them allows you to fully engage in the world, connect with your friends, innovate at work, and accelerate through life. It also ensures we have a little fun. When we accept the status quo isn't as good as it's going to get, when we listen to the voices that say it can't be done, including our own, when we see only discord and difficulty and decide to not even try, when we believe things are impossible, it means the brakes are holding us back. John, as we end your episode, what will you like to tell all of the sharks to give them the confidence to release their brakes? Man, that was so awesome. So uh, how cool to have words that you write in the sacred space of your home office or your basement or from traveling uh, now parroted back to you on an interview that drops the day that this book in awe releases. So Kaylin, first of all, thank you for picking that story. It is one of my favorites. So good. The, um, the wild thing about all that is it's important when you think about breaks. My mom was looking at a nine-year-old kid who had been burned to the edge of death and barely survived sitting at the wheel, sitting in a wheelchair at the kitchen table, still barely hanging on for life. And three days into this journey forward, rather than letting me hang out there anymore, she had the piano teacher come on and teach me piano. It, it's an unbelievable story of vision. It's an unbelievable story about love and guidance and not allowing people, including children or the reflection in the mirror sharks to make excuses. So I guess in parting advice, it might be, I don't know what your breaks are. Uh, mine were the belief that I would never play the piano, that I would never have a good life, that no girl would ever take my hand and that my best days were behind me. Those were some of my breaks. They were all emotional, mental breaks though. I don't know what your breaks are, but today maybe one of the cool things you can do because part of the book in awe is about reminding you that anything is possible, not like some things, but in your relationship with cystic fibrosis, with health, with finances and marriage, with an addiction, with a big goal in finance, whatever your dream is, Shark, anything is possible. And if you don't believe me, ask a kid, because that's what this book is about. It's about returning to the childlike mindset that you once had and that you can be reborn into today. So uh, my mom had a dream that I could play the piano and in front of 23,000 people at the MGM Grand, I proved her right. And I look forward to you, Sharks, proving people uh, right who believed in you because your best is yet to come, but you got to fight for it. Sometimes you got to release the brakes. You do. You do. So I'm going to end on this, this, this last comment here. I don't know what you're doing right now or why you tune into this show, but I know whatever you came in here with and all of those things that are preventing you from greatness, make yourself the promise that it ends today and that you release your brakes. Hmm. Bye everyone. Friends, if this show today inspired you, encouraged you, gave you hope, or maybe even made you feel less alone, I'd like to invite you to leave a five-star review and share this message with a friend. You never know who needs it. If you want to enroll in our free masterclass that helps you decrease stress and anxiety and increase the meaning and the sense of purpose in your life, simply text INSPIRE to 66866, and I'll send you the link. If you can't text right now, you're driving, that's fine. When you get a chance, head over to kaylinellsbury.com backslash podcast for all the show notes, more free courses to help you unlock deeper meaning in your life, and sign up for our free and encouraging emails. I love you. 
I'm grateful for you. Now, go out and build your best life.